Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt, and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. It's always great for more parents to hear these stories and get the information. All right, thank you, and on with the show. There's no doubt that relationships change after having children. The person who is the apple of your eye that you had all the time in the world for kind of takes a back seat. Kids have a way of becoming the center of your world. But what happens when your relationship with your partner ends? How do you separate well when you're dealing with all that emotional pain and anger You know, how do you keep the children naturally front and center the way you did before it all went wrong? Karen Christensen is an author based in Canada. After her own divorce, she looked for advice on how to do it well. And when she couldn't find anything, she wrote her own book. It's called Co-Parenting from the Inside Out. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm very well, Siobhan, and excited to be part of this conversation. I'm curious about the word co-parenting. I I know in Australia these days we talk about it a lot when you're with someone, like we say, you know, we're co-parents, we do it together. What's your your definition of co-parenting when the couple is separated? Oh, I'm I'm glad you asked that because you're right. The word is getting a lot of different uses. And when it's used in terms of co-parenting between divorced or separated parents, even then, there's a number of definitions. The one that I use um, is where both parents have 35% or more time with the children. And what the reason that's important is that it means that both parents will have not only kind of weekend fun jaunts time with the kids, but they'll have every day kind of get them out of bed in the morning for school and following up on on homework and taking them to whatever lessons they're in. And it means that the children will uh, be known to both parents as they're growing and changing, and the parents will be known to the children, both of them, in terms of what are their strengths and what are their flaws. When you wrote this book, you have an introduction that explains your own situation and how you felt when you and your husband separated. You said you were were relieved when he agreed to be a co-parent. Do you think that it's unusual for families to say, okay, we're going to do this this way and put the kids first? Well, it's becoming more common. I think um, as the possibility is more publicly discussed, I think more parents are saying, okay, well, why wouldn't we do it that way? So I think it was when my uh, ex-husband and I started doing it, it was 25 years ago, and it was very rare, and some people thought I was just nuts to even consider it. But now I think it's it's growing in, in popularity, and, and there's also more research now to support the better outcomes for children when both parents are involved, unless, of course, there's evidence of abuse or neglect, in which case it's a bad idea. In terms of it being the the ideal scenario, it it does sound, to be honest, it sounds very difficult to achieve, especially if the breakup wasn't 
um, wanted by both parties? I mean, is it something that can only happen if the split is an amicable one? It's certainly easier the more amicable the split is because then you can start having the conversations that you need to have quite quickly and without massive amounts of, of difficulty or getting sort of sidetracked into, into conflict. However, even if there is quite a lot of, of disagreement, it can be done. And there is research uh, out of Sweden, for instance, that says that even when there's a lot of conflict, um, co-parenting, when it's accomplished, will have um, much better outcomes for the children than if it's primarily uh, one, one parent doing the child-rearing. So conflict absolutely makes it tougher, but it's not that it's not possible. And there's more mediation and supports to parents to help them through, especially the, the first bits. Because you're, you're right, when one parent is ready to move on and the other one is just saying, what? <laughs> then it, it'll take a while to kind of let them get to um, a, a good meeting place. I mean, this is a big question I appreciate, but have you got any tips of how on how parents can keep their kids front of mind? Because when a relationship breaks up, that pain and anger can be really personal and all-consuming, and I know that you've had experience, personal experience with that as well. Do you have any tips on how parents might be able to push that aside or deal with that so that they can keep their focus on the kids? As you're saying, I mean, the feelings are the thing that makes it so tricky. And for parents to say, okay, how am I going to work through these, I think is the biggest thing. And to find you can get, you know, counseling or therapy or coaching. You can join support groups. You can journal. Do some things that will um, allow you to let in whatever it is you're feeling and, and kind of sit with it a bit. And then it, they will, those feelings will start to be let go. So I think the main thing is to try not to just sort of push through and say, I can make it through this, I don't have to worry about these feelings, because most, for most of us, they're too strong. And if we don't face them directly, then they will run us and mean that our best selves aren't coming forward when we are trying to put our, our children first. That's a big one, is get some help and at least face your feelings directly. And another one is to take time in your decision-making, especially at first there are some big decisions to be made, and the people I interviewed who had taken the time to get an, a second opinion and gather their information were much happier with the outcome of their decisions than people who just said, well, I don't know what to do, so I'll do this. Those are two big ones. You mentioned that when you were trying to work out what to do, you decided to quit your job and that there are quite a few raised eyebrows about that. I mean, it seems so sensible to me that you acknowledged that you needed to process these feelings and um, make space for the grief that your relationship had ended. Do you think that when a split is happening and when children are involved, that people feel the pressure to push through those feelings to 
work out what they're going to do with their kids and all of those things crowd in and they don't actually even know they have a grief to deal with. They might just think I'm angry and I'm hurt and I'm upset, not that they're grieving. And that seemed to be key in what you were saying about your own experience. Do you think that's what we miss when couples separate with children today? That's certainly going to be true for, I think, a lot of people, Siobhan, possibly not all, but for lots of us, it's easier to be angry than to be sad. And it's certainly, there certainly is grieving to be done for all the dreams that have to be uh, let go of in order to move on. So I think that's a, a really good point. I mean, it might be obvious, but why do you think that finances are such a sore point for couples to discuss? You mentioned that that was something you found difficult. Why is it so fraught, finances? Huh. You know, I'm not sure I have an answer for that one. I find that finances and, and money are in a category of them by themselves in most of our life. I mean, they're, they're one of the few things that we don't ask other people, so how much do you earn? So I think it's in, in all parts of our lives, it's tender. And the fact that for lots of couples, the sorting out of parenting time can be tied to things like child support make it extra sensitive. Because if people are not necessarily thinking they're going to get what they want in terms of parenting time and, and then have this other expectation added to it, it can feel really like you're being leaned on unfairly. Mm. Your book covers lots of different ways people have done the co-parenting thing. What was your aim in writing this book? The introduction's very clear about your own experience and it has some tips on how people might handle it. But why interview so many different couples? Um, I think because I felt so alone when I was doing this. Most people, the parents that I knew, at that stage in life, everyone's busy and they're working and they're raising their kids. And I didn't know anyone who was in my situation right then. And I didn't even realize how lonely I felt until I read three pages in a book where a mom did talk about a little sliver of her experience of co-parenting. And it was such a joy and such a relief for me to read those three pages. I thought, okay, I'm not alone. Other people have had these mixed up, bittersweet feelings. And it, it, just, it, it just hit me so hard. And I thought, okay, I want more stories like this. And there were none around. So the main reason I did it was to support co-parents by showing them that they're not alone. And then also I wanted the, the, the wide variety you know, from um, straight and lesbian couples and people with special needs children and dealing with depression and so forth because it's such a messy business. Mm. I mean, life is messy. And I wanted lots of different parents to be able to pick up the book and say, okay, here's someone whose situation was not that different than mine. And so then you can, they can see, okay, what did they wonder about and what did they do and how did it turn out for them? It's really for them to feel not alone. And one of the perennial questions I think all parents ask, but especially if you're separating, is am I messing up my kids by doing this? You um, mentioned that your own separation happened 25 years ago. So your, your boys are now men. 
Um, can you tell people how it worked for you, those that might be worried about the impact of their decisions and what they're doing now, what they had on their kids? Oh, yes. Well, in fact, it took, I guess they were five and eight when we separated. And for the first, oh, probably eight years, that was a big worry for me. They looked like they were doing okay. Their marks had dropped at first, but then they were all right. But, of course, you have no comparison, right? What would they be like if we hadn't separated? So it wasn't until high school, really, that I started to relax a bit because I saw how they dealt with their friends. I saw how they dealt with me and their dad. And I thought, okay, you know, they're they're getting it together. So in this very small sample of two, <laughs> I, I can say, okay, yes, they sustain relationships with people. They have been able to develop a livelihood and earn a living and all those good things. So in my case, I, I am really proud and relieved at, at how they have turned out. In terms of um, a broader sample, really there was no research uh, when I was starting out. But now the research is, the preponderance of research says that having the influence of both parents is healthier for the, for the children And the other piece for me is, I mean, parenting is a big job, and it's not just financially a big job. It takes a lot of energy, and it makes a lot of sense to me that when you get the human resource energy of two parents, then that will be good for the kids. You say the way that you separated and co-parented helped you grow as a person. In what ways? Oh, gosh, I think in almost every way. One way was just choosing to co-parent. At that time, was a bit eccentric. And so for me to step out and say, this is what I think is going to work the best all around, and do it. Like, that was a risky thing to do. So having um, found the courage to leave the marriage and choose an unusual path and stick to it and then make it work, That did a lot for my self-confidence, I think. And the other thing is, of course, as one of the moms I interviewed said, when she was talking about her own growth, she said, you have to be tested. Now I've been tested, and and I did it. So I think that's a big part of it. And another part is the emotional growth. You know, I took counseling, and I was in a, a support group for a few years. And there is huge opportunity, I think, for deepening our understanding of ourselves, what's important to us, how we operate, and how we want to operate in the world. And look, finally, before I let you go, where can people get this book if they've been listening and think, yep, that's for me, I want to I find out more? Um, Amazon uh, is the widest ranging bookstore that I know it's in around the world. There may be other books, bookstores in Australia, but that would be certainly one. It's published by Dunder and Press, and it's, yeah, I guess that's my best answer. Brilliant. Well, um, we'll make sure that we put links up to your website as well, Karen. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Siobhan. That's Karen Christensen. She's the author of Co-Parenting from the Inside Out. Where the beanies? Get your child off screens and into their imagination as we explore how bubbles are made. What's in a sneeze? 
Achoo! And what's with the weather today? Professor Know-It-All knows. Hello, beanies. Hello. The, the Beanies. A podcast just for kids. Subscribe now on iTunes or listen anytime on the Kindling app.